Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11? If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you. Please feel free to use one of those. It is page 922 on the uh, page in the pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible as a gift from us to you. I'd like to talk about a question that you might face in the next day or two, maybe give you a little bit of direction towards an answer you might give. A common question that we will hear oftentimes on a Monday is, how was your weekend? Now, my experience is most people answer probably in a courteous way, fine, good weekend. There are some people who will search for a couple of highlight points over the past couple days, maybe something great that they did or maybe something they had to do they did not want to do, and they will reply um, to the question in that way. I think what is happening with this idea of weekend is there is a definite division between things that people enjoy doing on the weekend and things that they don't enjoy doing. Some of us can remember the song from years ago, everybody's working for the weekend. How often do you have somebody come and tell you, we've got a three-day weekend coming up, aren't you excited for that? Do, Do you see what's happened here? We have divided the weekdays from the weekend. And doesn't it feel like it's something that we have to do that's divided from something that we uh, want to do? That's what it looks like. Well, what we're going to see in God's Word today is that God wants us to walk on our journey, and the best way for us to have joy and the best way for us to be content in our journey is to not have a list of things that I have to do and a list of things that I want to do. And if I can just get this list smaller and smaller, then I'll have joy and contentment. If I can just get more three-day weekends, then I'll be happier. I think instead what God wants us to do is to take every moment of our life, every decision we have to make, every task that we have, And instead of there being two sides, God wants us to combine those two. He wants each of our moments to be times that we look forward to. Joy and contentment, or as Jesus Christ will call it today, rest. We get the wrong idea when we hear that word rest sometimes. And Jesus is going to give some correction on what some people think when they think of being rested. All that to take us to Matthew chapter 11. I hope you're there in your Bible. Because as we look at this, happy and contentment or a rested person is going to be the one that takes these two different ideas and makes them work together. Now you need to remember that Jesus has been teaching and many people are receiving his message. And Jesus said some stuff that nobody understood when he said it. Even the smartest of the disciples, they would scratch their heads sometimes, and is he talking about the future, or is he talking about now? And I think when Christ talked about judgment, and when Christ talked about love, there were probably a lot of people who probably thought when he was looking them in the eye talking, is he talking to me? 
Every now and then someone comes to me after a Sunday and says, were you, were you talking to me in that sermon when you were preaching that? <laughs> and no, I was never, I'm never thinking of anybody specifically when something comes up. We just preach whatever's next in God's Word typically. But I do pray every week for the involvement of the Holy Spirit. And I've been so impressed with what the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of people who are listening and participating in this time. There are two very different groups that Jesus is going to talk about today, and it's my desire that they bring us to two very different questions as we study this small passage of Scripture. The first question that uh, we're going to ask, and I'm going to let you know, we're going to start on a negative, and we're going to move to a positive. You guys like ending on a positive note? Is that, is that okay with you? Of course. So just, you know, dig in here. But Jesus starts with some pretty harsh words. The first question that we need to ask is, will I be rejected? As Jesus looked some of these Jews in the eye and preached, mostly around the Sea of Galilee, I cannot help but wonder if some asked, on judgment day, am I going to be rejected? At this point in Christ's ministry, we have just now seen a rejection of the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and that was who? It was John the Baptist. They rejected him. He's too weird. He's too out there. He can't be the forerunner of Christ. We, we like his preaching, but I don't want to share a meal with him. Gross. They had also, up to this point, rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, now, they had not rejected him in every way, had they? Do, do you think that they liked the healing ministry of Jesus Christ? Oh, boy. You know they were lined up from all around. They didn't reject Christ in every way. But Jesus was, by these specific cities that he lists here, rejected as Messiah. Let's start in verse number 20 of Matthew 11. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes." But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I need to bring you into this place where Christ is preaching. If we can go around the Sea of Galilee, and what, impress, what impresses so many of us that are able to go to that location is, is the smallness of it. When you think of the Sea of Galilee, you need to not think of like Lake Michigan, a huge body of water. It's not like that. It's a small, smaller body of water with different cities that are located just a couple miles apart. 
a great exercise that we did when I was on uh, the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Our uh, leader, our tour guide, who was a fulfilled Jew, he had a stand up. Everybody stand up and put this arm going this direction, facing right toward that point. And then open your other arm toward this direction, touching that point. And then he told us, two-thirds of Jesus' earthly ministry were done between where your hands are pointing. The smallness of it is incredible. Jesus Christ speaks to these in three of these cities, these small towns that are right around, that seem like pretty good cities, nice places to live. The weather's beautiful, seem like some nice folks there. And they will be driven to ask this question, is he talking to me? Is he saying that I will be rejected? There has been much response to the ministry of Jesus, but it was not a response of belief that he was Messiah, or better, it was not a response of repentance. All the great preachers from the Bible preached, repent. And he compares them here. First of all, he takes Chorazin and Bethsaida, and he compares them to Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you get, look in the map in the back of your Bible, Tyre and Sidon are their port towns, and they're larger, and just like a lot of larger towns would be known for, they were, they were kind of wicked. If you were to compare those two cities around the Sea of Galilee with these two port cities, it doesn't make sense that it's more tolerable for them in the Day of Judgment than it is for these. It must have left some people scratching their heads. The cities where Jesus did most of his miracles, the cities where they had the teachings of the law and the prophets, Jesus said if Tyre and Sidon would have seen these miracles, they would have turned from their sin. We have a hard time really taking this in completely. Um, I, I think there is a familiar story to many of us who have been around the Bible for a while, and that's the story of Jonah. You guys remember the Old Testament prophet Jonah? I want to take you to that story. I'm not going to talk about the big fish that swallowed him. I'm not going to talk about him getting spit out by the fish and all that. But I want to go to the end of the story of Jonah. If you're not familiar with it, please go back and study it for reference. If you are familiar with it, I want to ask you if you can remember the response. After Jonah obeyed and went and preached, repent! Or judgment is coming. After he went and preached, can you remember what Jonah's feelings were when they actually repented? Was Jonah happy or was Jonah sad that they repented? Do you remember? He was sad. This is a, this is a guy who we've got a Bible book from. And he was upset that they repented. And it speaks a little bit about his character. And we find out a bit of why we know that he didn't want to go there and preach in one word that is given in the end of Jonah. Because when Jonah goes and preaches, or when God tells him to, and then when God saves those people, doesn't judge them, Jonah talks to God and he says, I knew it! I knew it! I knew if you had this message preached to repent, 
that they would repent because you are a God of mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. Jonah hated it. When we look at this comparison between these cities, it doesn't make sense. And then Jesus really raises the bar a little bit. Then he gets to Capernaum. Can you remember where Capernaum is? Capernaum is the town where Jesus was headquartered for his earthly ministry. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law there at Capernaum, that wonderful miracle. This is a great place. This is a place where they were blessed. You can go and they, they have, the, they have the, uh, the synagogue uncovered and you have the water right here and you know it was in just this short space of not more than 300 feet where the woman went up and touched Jesus' clothes and was immediately healed and he said, who touched me? That's where that happened. These are great places. Who does Jesus say is better than Capernaum on the Day of Judgment? Sodom? Can you get much worse than Sodom? They have a sin named after them. This horrible place, if you look in the dictionary next to sinful cities, it's a picture of Sodom that is there. If you're a little bit confused on this, don't, don't be discouraged by that. Because I think they were just confused too. If we wanted to relate this to our case today, we might say that it would be more tolerable for Las Vegas or San Francisco than Grand Rapids, Michigan or Mayberry, North Carolina. That doesn't make sense. One of those places is called Sin City. It can't be better for them. And you need to understand that it does not make sense. What Jesus says here does not make sense apart from the coming of the Messiah. Who will make salvation available to all men. Not because of their heritage and not because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus Christ is going to do on the cross. Equal chance all will have. And it does not make any sense when we look at it at face value. And there's just a small application for us to take from this. And that is we need to be very, very careful when we look at individuals and we judge them as being ripe for the picking for God. There are times when we look at someone and we think, look at that one there. They are so far from God. Their life is so evil. It is so wicked. There's no way in the world that they are anywhere close to turning to God. We have no view on what has been going on in their heart and in their past weeks and months and years. Because the Lord works in mysterious ways. And he could be building someone up for that opportunity for them to turn from following after their own ways for happiness and turning to God. And so do not think because someone already looks like a Christian that they're primed to turn to God. We don't know what God is doing. So thus far, he's talking about rejection for those who rejected the Messiah. Can we please pivot and stop talking about all this negative stuff? 
hey, we came to church. We don't want to be sad when we leave, right? So let's pivot. Let's talk about the positive stuff, which is the question, will I be accepted? This is a question that each of us should ask. We will stand before God on Judgment Day, and you need to, before you get to Judgment Day, ask this question. Because you won't have your family, you won't have your parents, you won't have any cheat sheet, you will stand before God, and if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then you will be accepted. And if you're leaning on anything else to get into heaven, you will be rejected. Jesus Christ goes into the people that will be accepted through a prayer. So he stops here and he, he, he points a prayer up to heaven. Before that prayer, though, we're going to read some of the best-known verses in the New Testament. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these verses here have to be in the top 50 verses that have, that have made it onto the coffee mugs, right? Isn't that right? Of the wall hangings where they pick some choice verses to put on there, isn't come to me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. They've got to be up there with the top verses. We love these verses. Well, hang on a second. We love the first part of this verse because there are quite a few of us today, if I were to say, raise your hand, if you think you would like some rest, some of you would have your hand way up in the sky. Rest, please. I'll take it. But when we think of rest, we need to make sure that we are lining that up with what Jesus Christ says about rest. You see, it's not just the idea of let go and let God. That's what's going to give me rest. Close your eyes. Let him take care of it. Jesus doesn't say that at all. In fact, in that first verse, it's implied what he's going to get at, where he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is not something that is necessarily easy, but don't forget what we're trying to do. I've got the things that I want to do, the things that I have to do, How do we make them together? Christ is going to tell you, you can have rest in this place or be content or have joy. And then he tells us how we can do that. The first thing he says is, come to me. So if you're going to need to know where to have rest, you need to know where to go to get it. Or better, you need to know who is the one who has the authority that has extended the invitation. That's Jesus. Come to me. And the reason that we have a difference between the group that is rejected and the group that is accepted is because of the prayer. I want you to read very, very closely with me. We're going to back up and read those verses that we skipped. And I want you to find the group of people who will be accepted. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You want rest today? You need to know where to get it, and the place where you can find rest is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many love the invitation. I think that this invitation is a reason why it makes it on coffee mugs and on wall hangings. Because people love this invitation. Everybody loves the invitation, but so many still do not have rest. How is that possible? They want it. They see the invitation. It's because Jesus gives us some qualifiers now. Here's what's going to bring you rest. First thing he says after accepting the invitation is, take my yoke upon you. That's what he says. So that's going to knock out the idea of just falling down and closing your eyes and crossing your fingers and letting God take care of it. If you want rest, there is a yoke involved. Most of you know what a yoke is, right? I was talking to one of our farmers after this first service today, and he told me the year was 1947 on my family farm when we bought the first family tractor. And at that point, we took the yoke and set it aside. They still have it today. It's not been used for quite a while. A yoke is a farming tool that you would rest over the necks of two animals to give you more power between the two animals, but most importantly, to keep them going in the exact same direction. This is what we have to do to find rest. Take the yoke of Jesus Christ on us. And who are we with? Well, we're yoked with Him. Christ says first that we are to share our burdens with him going the right direction. And, and why is this so hard? In this present world, you and I are surrounded with so many other people that are going to so many other places for joy, for satisfaction, and for contentment. And you have to say, stay laser focused on what Jesus wants you focused on. Otherwise, you're going to look over there and see them and what they are filling their life with to try to find happiness. And then you go to these over here and what they do. This happened with the children of Israel. There's a familiar story in the book of Samuel. Well, we read about Samuel, and he was the prophet in charge here. And there was a point where the children of Israel, do you know what they're what their first form of government was. Their form of government was what we call a a theocracy. God was their king. That was it. And that's the best way. 
And there came a day where they went to Samuel again and again and again as the prophet of Israel. And they said, we want a king like those guys over there and those guys over there. Seems to be working out pretty good for them. We want a king. Samuel was so mortified by this. God comforted him by telling Samuel, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. The same picture applies to those who cannot find rest in this present world. Because we reject being yoked together with Christ. If you're yoked with Christ, you're going to want to go a different way. You need to trust that He is going to guide you. Stay with Him and do not for any reason say, I need to throw this yoke off so I can find some satisfaction somewhere. He will take you to the place of satisfaction. But it's not just doing nothing. It's not just sleeping. It's not just taking a nap. Rest is involved in walking your journey, being yoked to Christ. And the marvelous part of this is it's not just you moving along, pulling with Christ. But don't miss it. It's Christ pulling with you. The worry that has dominated your mind in the past few weeks. It's not just you pulling with Christ, but Christ is pulling with you. The conflict. It's not just you pulling with Christ, Christ is pulling with you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And then he gives one more thing that we need to do. Accept the invitation, take my yoke upon you, and then he says, learn of me. And what this is referring to is not just sharing his direction, but it is sharing his values. You and I are to be lifelong learners of the Master, and we need to know what his values are. He has told us very specifically what that is in his book. You need to be students of this book. You need to be in love with it. And more than just the top 50 verses and more than just the story at Christmas and Easter. This needs to guide you in your journey. And when you do that, what you're going to do with these things that you want to do and these things that you have to do, God said you will have rest for your entire journey when you make these the same thing. Who, who, who gets satisfaction and joy out of cleaning toilets, doing housework? Who gets joy out of that? Who gets satisfaction and joy when you encounter someone who is a, just a nasty person and you respond in the right way? Who gets joy out of that? Every part, every step of your journey, and every one of us has a different story. God makes available rest. But if you're constantly keeping these two things separate and trying to find joy in the things you want to do, you're going to be miserable because of these things that you have to do. Because on this side of heaven, there's a whole lot of things that we may not put at top of the list, but we have to do it. And here's the miracle of what Jesus Christ can do in your life. He can take the things that you have to do, and He can take those 
and allow them to put wind in your sails. Allow them to give you to be make you content. It's so beautiful what he does, and it makes no sense. It makes no sense apart from Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Our Savior, our King, our Messiah has left us here in this world and we will face sin and we will face disease and we will face death. And God said, as you are going on that journey, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Be with me. Learn of me. How much time have you spent in the past week learning of something that's going to make no difference in your life really and no difference for eternity? And so many wonder, well, I like the invitation, but why can't I find the rest? It's not just recline. It's not just sleep. It is be busy doing the things I want you busy with. That will involve work. That will involve going through trials. That will involve helping others who maybe you don't want to help. God wants to take these two things and he wants to make one group the things that you do. And when you do them, they give you rest. And if you're doing them, here's the answer to the question that we started with. When someone says, how was your weekend? You can say, good weekend. And when someone says, how was your week? You can say, good week. Didn't your car break down this past week? It was a good week. Didn't your kid get sick this past week? It was a good week. Why is that? God's got a way for every step that you take to be guided by Him. We need to be busy with the things that He wants us busy with. And that will bring us rest. Would you pray with me? Perfect Father, how sweet it is to be your children. The ones who you know by name, you know every detail about us, and you love us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit praying in our behalf, things that we don't even know to pray. We thank you for the intercessor, Jesus Christ, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, And I thank you that I'm accepted because of the work that he did on the cross. And I thank you that I do not have to walk day by day just wanting out of this world, wanting the rapture, wanting heaven today. I can walk each day knowing that you have me here for a reason. Allow me to find that reason by seeking your rest. And I praise you that we are not alone in this. I want to give you a chance to pray today. As the piano plays through, I want you to search your heart. There might be some things that you hate doing. It might be that you need to just quit those because they're not that important. Or it might be that you need to look at them in the light that God wants you to see them. Understand, you're a steward of time. You're a steward of your resources. You're a steward of relationships. Take just a moment and allow the Lord to lead you how to pray. It could be that somebody listening today that does not have a relationship with Jesus because they've never repented. They have never turned from their sin and allowed God to forgive them. 
all men, all women, all children are sinners. The punishment for sin is a place called hell. But Jesus Christ died for your sins and all you have to do is accept that invitation, that free gift of eternal life. And even right now, if the Lord is leading, you can pray. Ask God to forgive you and to save you. And he promises to make you his son or his daughter. Amen.